Amen. Welcome. Sorry, I'm still demasking here. Never thought that would be the complicated part of preaching. Getting glasses, a mask off, microphone on, all at the same time. We're going to continue through our study through the book of Exodus this morning. And, and as we start, I want to do something very odd that you probably never thought you would do in church and probably will never want to do in church again. But I want you to remember the last time you went to Walmart. I don't mean the grocery store. I don't mean the, I mean Walmart. All right. So you're probably feeling a little bit guilty already. It's just, it's just, you kind of have that feel, right? But Walmart, we just all kind of have this ritual we go through. It's not a matter to go through and shop and enjoy. It's, it's go through and rescue that item that you have to have. Get it to the register as fast as possible. Stay in line. Get frustrated. Go to the self-checkout. Wait in line again. Scan it. Bag it. Card. And out of there as fast as you can, right? It's give them the money. Get the stuff. Go home. That's okay for Walmart, right? Hopefully you don't get COVID and three million other germs while you're there, right? But it's it's just a transaction. There's no joy in Walmart, right? It's not like going to some fancy store where you're wanting to buy this one thing that you've been saving for and, and hoping for, and it's, it's pleasant, and there's nice clear. It, it, it's Walmart. You give them the money, you get your stuff. That's okay for Walmart. But what I fear and what I see in my own heart so many times is that we somehow treat God's great salvation, like a Walmart experience. You know, you, you come in, you do your time, you have to listen to the crazy guy talk for 45 minutes, and, and you endure, and, and then you, you okay, yeah, God, here, here's my faith, and give me your salvation. Okay, I'm not going to hell, I'm going home. The gospel is so far from that. Because salvation is not this transaction. It's not, I give you my stuff or my money and you give me the, my stuff, God. I, you know, I do whatever you tell me to and so I don't go to hell. It's not a transaction. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And, and we want to pull those apart in our natural flesh. And so what I want us to do today, and, and this is where this text just, just grabbed my heart. It was Friday morning sitting at Hernandez uh, Deli down in, in Burrow, um, getting a good enchilada, sunrise enchilada down there. Just the connection to Christ that we are so blessed to have as believers, that we don't deserve, we haven't earned, we didn't pay our money and get it. person of Jesus Christ who is the Savior. Not just salvation, but a Savior. And so today, I, I hope you'll, you'll go with me on this journey. You'll walk with me. And, and I will be honest, this is not the um, most G-rated text in there. Um, there's, there's some harshness in this text. But it's to help us get what really is happening in our hearts and our minds when God comes and God saves. So, so this is like the text. I mean, this is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. This is the text that just grabs us 
on what salvation is. So, so turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 4. Exodus 11, starting in verse 4. We're going to walk through some things, but as you're turning your scriptures there, I want to share a quote with you that's kind of the outline um, of this passage, I think, in a lot of ways. It's, it's two big points that everything else kind of falls under. And this is a quote by Tim Keller. It says, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. Let me read that again. Think about the the sin and the hope of salvation contrasted here. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared to hope. So read with me. Exodus 11, verses 4 through 9. We're going to read a lot of Scripture today. If you have a copy of the Bible, it'll help you to turn there. Exodus eleven four. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the, all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Take note of that. This is this first hint of there's a difference. God is going to do something to differentiate. In verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me. This is Moses saying this to Pharaoh's servants. Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So there's about to be something. Something horrible happened. The death, the the way the Bible describes this, it says there was not a household in Egypt that did not experience death. Can you fathom that? I mean, grief is so intense. And grief, one of the ways we make it through as a church is helping each other with meals and food and love and the phone calls and the texts. And everyone, the people that would help you, they're in the depth of grief too. So what was this horrible, horrible thing? Why was it going to be so, so bad? And that's where it comes to our first point. That, that first point that Keller made that, that we're more sinful and flawed than we ever thought we were. And I, I want you to write it down this way. As I, I prayed through this and worked through this week, I, I, I had to, okay, kids, y'all have to forgive me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell it. Don't worry. We're going to use a $5 word. I had a I think it was a seventh grade English teacher that said you got to use $5 words when you write, get something big. All right, so we're going to use a $5 word this morning. So your first point there in the bulletin. Sin is more hideous than you think. Sin is more hideous than you think. Okay, I had to look up how to spell that, so I'm going to spell it for kids, all right? Y'all are out there, kids, right? All the kids who are like 40. H-I-D-E-O-U-S. H-I-D-E-O-U-S. 
hideous. All right, so for any of y'all, my kiddos, y'all know I love definitions. Hideous is the combination of bad and ugly. All right? It's not just that something's ugly. It's that it's actually bad. It's like evil. It's all that together. And what I think we fail to get, and what I think the Exodus as a whole, and particularly this passage, helps us grasp, is that our sin, not, not those guys' sin, our sin is more hideous than we think. So let me give you some ways that the Exodus help us see that. The first thing, sin is slavery. The Bible says that do you not understand that whoever you present yourselves to to obey, that you are a slave to. In other words, sin, whatever you're obeying, the law of sin, all right, you're obeying sin instead of God, we are a slave to that. And this is illustrated by, I mean, Israel were literal slaves. They were kept in Egypt for 400 years. It was 430 years by the time they had left. And I want you to think of the misery they had to be in. They couldn't leave. They couldn't go. They couldn't make choices for themselves. They couldn't advance. There was no hope whatsoever. They were stuck. Tomorrow, they're going to make bricks. And the day after that, they're going to make bricks. And the day after that, they're going to make bricks. Oh, and by the way, the son or the daughter that you have so much hope for, they're going to make bricks too. They were stuck. They couldn't get out. They were helpless. They couldn't do it on their own. They needed some way to pull them out. It's so heartbreaking. When we see someone in an addiction whether it be alcohol, drugs, it just grabs us because it, there's something that holds that person. But the problem is, and what we fail to realize, is that thing that we see those other people getting held by, our sin. That greed that you're fighting, it's got just as big a grip as alcohol ever did. That pride, that anger, that selfishness, Kids, that disobedience to your parents, it's enslaving. It grabs you and holds you. There was a famous preacher a couple hundred years ago that said, sin will take you farther than you ever want to go and keep you there longer than you ever want to stay. That's exactly what it does to us. Sin enslaves us. Sin is slavery. But not only is sin slavery, sin is oppression. It pushes us down. It keeps our souls burdened. Just like the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites. They killed their babies. They gave them work and forced it upon them. And then they gave them even more work. They, they sent taskmasters after them. We have uh, instances when Moses murders a man. It's because he's beating a slave. They were oppressed. I'm going to guess. Every single one of us in this room knows exactly what it feels like to say that sin is oppressive. That moment when you've laid your head on your pillow and your mind's not ready to go to sleep because of that thing that you did again for the hundredth time. That weight of guilt. 
that burden of what you did to that person you love? Just pulling and pulling and pulling. Sin is not only slavery, it's oppression. But sin is not only slavery and oppression. Sin is separation and broken relationship. You see, what is the thing that Moses keeps telling Pharaoh that they're going to do? They're leaving Egypt. They're getting freed from slavery. But do you catch how Moses says it every single time? Let the people go that they may go out three days into the wilderness and worship. To sacrifice to God. See, that, that slavery had not only kept them in misery, kept them in oppression, but that slavery had kept them from right relationship with God. They were not where they needed to be spiritually. They were kept from God. There was a barrier between them and God. They needed to go out. They needed to be free and to worship God. That sin that's there in your life has created a barrier between you and God. A gulf that no one could span save Jesus Christ. And don't worry, we're going to get to some good news. But I want us to catch where we're at first, apart from Christ. So let me say something to you. If you're here and you're just considering the claims of Christ and you thought you were going to come in and get the beat down about your sin, yep, sorry. But don't worry, we're going to come out of this. But let me say something to you. If you're considering the claims of Christ, the claim of Jesus, the claim of Scripture, the claim of true Christians is not just that you need to be better. I think that's how we look at Christianity so often. Yeah, we, we need to be better. And we all know we need to be better, right? But that's not the ultimate claim of Christ. The claim of Christ is you can't be better. That you are separated from God for all eternity apart from the work and the hand of God Himself. Nothing you can do to get, can get yourself out of it. Nothing you can do can fix it. It's just like the Israelites. They needed a Savior. That's why God sent Moses. That's why God sent the plagues. They needed help. And so if you're considering the claims of Christ today, let me say this to you. You can't do it. In and of yourself, you can't. I can't and nobody else here can. It is only by the gracious act, the gracious saving of God that we can get ourselves out of the mess in which we live. But not only is sin slavery, not only is it oppression, not only is it separation and broken fellowship with God, sin is bitterness. All through this text, we're going about to read about the actual Passover and what happens. And one of the things they do, and, and Jewish people still do to this day when they celebrate the Passover, is they take bitter herbs. It's something, it's not the nice herb out of your grow, garden, you know, you want to you know, sprinkle some mint. I had some mint in my tea, first mint of the year, um, fresh mint of the year. It's not that. This is bitter herbs. This is going out there and pulling the weed that Steve and the landscapers guys missed, dipping it in some nasty salt water, some mucky water, and then eating it. And the reason they did this is to remember the bitterness of being in slavery. That misery that we're in. Let me say something to some teenagers. I know that some of y'all have got in some stuff that you never intended to be a big deal. You never intended to grab your life. You never intended to repeat. Whether that's porn, whether that's some relationships with friends, 
That's for some of y'all being so deep in social media, it's consuming you and you're miserable every night. See the bitterness of that. See where it's brought you. See where it's keeping you. Look back like the Israelites did until the coming of Christ and, and taste that bitterness for just a moment. Be uncomfortable with your sin. Students, the reason I pick on you particularly is y'all are walking through on Wednesday nights the book of Ruth. And so I want you to just review it in your mind with me a little bit. So Naomi, who's an Israelite, flees Israel, which she wasn't supposed to do, in a time of drought. She goes somewhere. Everything goes bad. Finally gets her attention. She's going to come back, but she has lost everything. She's lost her two sons. She's lost her husband to death. And she says, don't call me Naomi, which is joy or happiness or, or lightheartedness. That's what that name meant. You may remember, what does she say to call her? All right, students, trivia time. See if you listen to Pastor Chad. She says, call me Mara, which in Hebrew means bitterness. Her sin had consumed her. It had become the thing that was her name. That's who she was. Guilt, weight, bitterness. Sin takes us places we don't want to go. But the final thing, and, and okay, just time out, because this is the worst point ever in a sermon, but it's theologically correct, okay? So just, just put up with me here. Horrible grammar, horrible English, most nonsensible sentence ever. But here's the fifth thing that sin is. Sin takes what is perfect and beautiful and peaceful and loving and spotless and slits its throat makes it test, taste like intestines and gall, and then shoves it down your throat, and then makes a bloody mess of your house. I told you it's a bad point, right? But read with me Exodus 12, 1-13. I want us to catch the feel of sin. And this is really why we're, we're camping here. Is This is the text. This is what the Bible says to us as we come today. And it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the first year to you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, he, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to each what can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Now pause right there in our reading. So here's what's happening. Moses and Aaron are giving instructions. So this is the believing community, okay? These are the folks who are saying, yep, we're in with God. We, this is us. These are the slaves. And Moses says to them, get a sheep or a goat. And on the 10th of the month, you're going to bring it into your house. Now, we all know little lambs are cute, right? We had um, a friend at school, and their, uh, their, their next-door neighbor has like a little hobby farm, all right? They've got sheep. They were going out of town, and right before they went out of town, they had two lambs, and the mother rejected them. They wouldn't nurse. They wouldn't suckle. 
So they were going to die. They didn't want them to die. So they start hand feeding these lambs, but they have a scheduled appointment out of town. So they shoved them off on our friends. All right. So they have these two little baby lambs. They're feeding like with droplets and bottles and all this stuff. And they bring them into the home. And so on day one, you know, first part of the week, they're like, we're taking care of lambs. Friday, kid you not, in the parking lot at school picking up, do you want to come see my lambs? They were in diapers with baby clothes on and hats. Okay? One week. That's all it took. They were pets. All right? So kids, here's what daddy does. This is what this passage says. Daddy brings home a cute little perfect, spotless, beautiful lamb and puts it in your house and you get to take care of it for a week. Okay? Now let's go back to scripture. See what happens next. Verse 6, we'll start right over. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Do you catch what's happening here? I mean, look at the detail that God goes into. You bring the lamb into your house day 10, or on the 10th, and on the 14th, you take it outside, and we get details later, they were to slit its throat, so it squealed like nobody's business. That's what happens when you slit a throat. It's horrible sounding. So kids, I want you to picture dad right now. Bringing home a cute, cuddly little lamb, and by day five, you've got diapers and baby clothes on him, and then suddenly dad grabs the lamb, walks outside, and kills the thing. Oh, we're not done yet. Then he takes hyssop, a weed, dips the blood in it, and shoves it all over the door. We're about to read that. And then he brings the lamb in and roasts it with the guts inside and the head on puts it on the dinner table, the eyes are looking at you, and says, eat. Mm-mm. That's my baby, right? No, eat. We eat it till it's gone. Blood, guts, brains, the works. Keep reading with me, verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and they shall put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. That's that's the two verticals and the horizontal across the door. Verse 8, And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted with fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its head and with its legs and with its inner parts shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains in the morning you shall burn. In this matter you shall eat it with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. See, sin, you know what it looks like? Your sin? Your sin. Not just that guy's sin. Your sin. Looks like a cute, cuddly lamb with its throat slit bleeding all over the place. 
And it tastes like you eating that lamb while it's looking at you, dead and roasted, tasting horrible. That's our sin. It's graphic. It's ugly. It's miserable. It's horrible. It's hideous. But the good news is, we don't stop there. You see, that lamb, that ugly, bloody mess, was their salvation. When God came and He executed judgment, He passed over them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that even a lot of the Egyptians, says there, there were a mixed multitude when they went out. The Egyptians were like, I'm, I'm done. frogs, that had me. Like, I'm in. And they started doing the same thing. They trusted God and were saved as well. See, this, this plague, God made a differentiation. But He didn't make just a differentiation between Israel and Egypt. It was Israel who had blood on their door and anybody else who had blood on the door. It says He looked for the blood. He didn't look for who was in the house. If they had trusted God, if they had expressed faith by doing what He told them to do, put that blood on their door, God passed over and did not bring judgment but salvation it says they went out it actually says that they plundered egypt they were so ready to get everybody out of there they go knock on the door hey we're leaving if you pay us too and <laughs> it says they plundered egypt of gold and silver and jewelry god saved his people and his people were the people who trusted him to put that blood on the door So the second point, even though our sin is more hideous than you think, here's what you can write down for that second point. If you're at home, we've got that there on the Facebook page. Salvation is more bountiful, there's my $5 word again, than you can imagine. Salvation is more bountiful than you can imagine. All right, I'm going to spell it again for the kiddos in here. Since we did the first one, B O U N T I. F-U-L. B-O-U-N-T-I-F-U-L. Bountiful. I had to go to a Thanksgiving word. As I was processing this and think about this, I mean, it was like, I mean, pumpkin spice lattes came to mind, all right, even though I hate coffee. But all I could think about was those Thanksgiving words. Bounty. Plenty. Abundance. The, the cornucopia with the, the year's harvest flowing out of it. This is the feel we need to get when we come to salvation. That salvation is not just the minimal requirement to get you out of your mess and, and, and move you somehow from heaven to hell. That's huge. That's a big deal. I'm, I'm for that, right? But that's not the totality of salvation. Salvation is so much bigger and so much more beautiful than that. I want you to read with me chapter 12. We're starting in verse 21. So Moses has told them what to do. There's some repeat in this as they actually do it, okay? Then Moses called all the elders of Israel that were their, was their leaders and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. That's again, that's, that's a weed that grew out there. Dip it in the blood that's in the basin. Touch the lintel and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, 
The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord shall give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it, was, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our lives. And the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so. This is one of the rare times in Scripture people actually obey. They actually trusted God to do what he said. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Verse 29, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat us on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon the firstborn of all the livestock. And verse 30, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the Lord, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And this odd addendum to that and bless me also i have no idea where he went with that but his his heart was absolutely struck to the depths because the people were urgent they 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 shoved them out of egypt they gave them here take anything just get out says otherwise we'll be dead too god saved his people through this he, he got them out of slavery. He got them out of the bitterness. He took them back into reconciliation with them. He, he makes everything right and then gives them money, gold, silver. And He preserved them from the death that He used to do that. So I want to talk four things that salvation is. That, that Jesus' atonement or, or making things right for us what Jesus did on the cross, because this really happened. But it's purely a picture of what is to come. See, that sacrifice, that, that slitting of the throat of the Lamb was a picture. Do you remember what John the Baptist said the first time he met Jesus? So, so John prepares the way for Jesus. He gets everything ready. And the first time he actually sees Jesus, God the Son, come and made flesh. And he sees Him off in the distance as he points out and he said, Look! The Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. Roughly 33 years after Christ was born. On Passover night. In the evening when they slaughtered the lambs at the temple. The Lamb of God was hanging on a cross dying for our sins. See, Christ was our sacrifice. This sacrifice of the Lamb, it was a symbol, it was, it was a way to show faith in Christ. It was a way God passed over. The Lamb died instead of the firstborn. But when Christ came and made this complete and fulfilled all that the Passover had spoke about, Christ died 
as a penal substitute, big word, I'll tell you what it means here in a second, penal means punishment or or, or the the payment, the, the cost, he paid as a substitute for us. Now, kids, y'all know a substitute, right? All right? It's your best day because you don't get homework, right? All right? So you go in, teacher's sick, the substitute comes in and covers for them. They take the place of your teacher. Christ took my place and your place on the cross, paying for our sins. In Isaiah, God says that the iniquity of us all was placed upon Him. In other words, He took us and He put it on Jesus. D. James Kennedy, famous pastor, we would take his wallet out and then pull out his driver's license and says, if this said everything I ever did, not just my name and address, but all the sin I've ever committed, if I had that on me, God took that and put it on Jesus Christ on that cross. The iniquity of us all was placed upon Him. Jesus sacrificed Himself for us. Hebrews 9, 26-28 says it this way, But as it is, He appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Christ's sacrifice was for your sin and for mine. And we make that a Walmart transaction way too much. We don't get that He was the Lamb of God. The lovely, perfect, peaceful, hopeful, without sin, Lamb was killed he was our sacrifice but not just our sacrifice our propitiation see those plagues had been the judgment of God it was pouring out it was pouring out it was pouring out and there was about to be the ultimate judgment the judgment by killing Pharaoh's own son his most precious earthly thing his kids God's wrath was coming And God preserved the Israelites from His wrath. He spared them. Just as there is wrath coming on our sin, and instead of that wrath being poured out on us, just like we sang in in Christ alone, that sin or that wrath was poured out upon Jesus on that cross. That very moment when He declared, it is finished. It was a legal term. It's completed. Everything's done. The wrath. It's over. One of my favorite songs says, we don't have to bleed anymore. There's none left for me. We don't have to bleed anymore. He bled upon the tree. God's wrath is not on you anymore if you are a believer in Christ. If you've trusted Christ, if He's done the saving, He has passed over and there is no more wrath for you. So let me tell you, when you do lay down your head on that pillow in guilt, that guilt is a lie now. 
that guilt has been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the tree. So Jesus is our sacrifice. He's our propitiation. But He's our reconciliation. Because sin separates, Christ reconciles. Just as the children of Israel, they were in Egypt. They couldn't worship properly. So they come out and what do they do? They sacrifice and worship with God. Perhaps one of the most intimate times in all of Scripture until Jesus walked on this earth. God came down to Mount Sinai to be with His people. They were restored. They were put back together into fellowship. And Jesus Christ does even more for me and for you. See, 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to Himself and not counting their trespasses. See, God brings you near. The distance, the silence of God for 400 years that the children of Israel experienced was now answered. They were ready And they were put back together with their God. That's what Jesus has done for you. You can know God. Not just know of Him. Not just know some facts. You can know the triune God who created the universe. And He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you in prayer and speak to you through His Word. He loves you. He puts us back together. So Jesus is sacrifice, propitiation, reconciliation, and finally, redemption. It's the removal of bondage. It's it's the freedom. They were no longer slaves. They were out. They were chased out. Get out of here! There's no more slavery. There's freedom. It's now possible in Christ for you That person who you used to be. That person who you've always been. When Christ saves you, you can now actually please God. It almost sounds disrespectful or or heretical or, or just so arrogant. But God changes you so much in salvation. He redeems you. He buys you back. He restores your ability to do right in Christ. You can please God. And as a matter of fact, through Christ, God is completely satisfied with you. That's good news. See, the Israelites' salvation, the Passover, that that bloody-looking door, that horrid meal that no one on earth would want to eat, was a picture of who we are in our sin, but then a picture of what Jesus does about it. He takes you out of that sin. So if you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted Him, maybe you're exploring this, you're trying to understand, maybe you've been sitting here because your parents drug you for a long time. 
But you get it. My sin's that bad. I pray that today you would also get that Jesus is that good of a Savior. That you would place your faith in Him. You would turn to Him from yourself. Have everything changed. That He would pass over His judgment upon you. You'd become His son or daughter. I'd like nothing more to talk to you about that. Joe's down here. We've got other elders at the back. We've got some godly ladies who happen to be sitting all across the front row. They'd love to chat with you about that. But for the rest of us, for the believers in here, that sin that you keep playing with, understand it for what it is. It's slavery, oppression, bitterness, separation, and killing of a cute, cuddly little lamb. That's what it's like. Stop playing with sin. And turn to our Passover lamb. As we're about to sing, who paid it all. All to Him we owe. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. 56 years ago, right about now, Something horrible happened in America. Again, a people who had been set free from slavery here in America and had even been given an, an amendment that shouldn't have ever had to have happened, but, but did. Where every person of every color skin was given the right to vote. But that right had been taken away again by insane laws and tests and segregation. And in Selma, people decided to march after the killing of a young man. 600 people, led by Martin Luther King, John Lewis, started walking to Montgomery. They were met by a police force and while they stood there, they were beaten senseless, had dogs released on them, tear gas. They came back. There were 17 people hospitalized, 50 other people. Uh, the pictures show it. They, they were literally bloodied. This day in our history is called Bloody Sunday. It's pretty ironic. It anniversaries today. Happened on a Sunday, obviously. Tuesday, again, the march happened. It's changed a little bit. That Friday, the blood of those men and women, teenagers, so bothered the soul of this nation that the president made a proclamation that Friday afternoon, said, This must stop. We're pushing through an amendment or a, a Declaration, um, the Voting Act. The blood did something. There's something in us that we get it. The blood, that, that thing that gives us life, so important. And as it changed this country 56 years ago today, 
I pray and hope that a much more precious blood shed 2,000 years ago will again have its power to take in your mind whatever your relationship with Christ is from some transaction as Walmart to the love of a person, to the love of a Savior, that you would know Him, as Paul said, the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being united to Him in His death. Let's pray. Father, help us to get Bloody Sunday. Not just remembrance of what happened in our country and we're, we're grateful for the men and women who fought to right or wrong. Lord, help us to get that the blood shed for us, not just a little pet lamb, but of the Lamb of God is real powerful and lord may we come out of singing jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin hath left the crimson stain but you've made me whole to to screaming from our hearts depths praise the one praise the one who saved my soul and raised me up Lord, teach us to sing to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who took away my sin. Lord, help us. And Lord, I pray for those who may not know You today. Lord, that You would draw them to You, that You would help them to trust You as these men and women did thousands of years ago as they sprinkled door, blood on their doors. Help us to trust You and turn to You alone. In Jesus' name, Amen.